want to welcome everybody to today's webinar presented by Kinexus. I'm Mark Raven, a senior advisor with Kinexus, and today's topic is six key steps to create a culture of improvement. And we're joined today by Scott Bergmeier. He's going to be our presenter. He's executive director with IQC, and I'll introduce him a little bit more formally here in just a second. So with that, let me introduce, um, again, we are joined by Scott Bergmeier. He is the executive director of IQC. He's worked and consulted in manufacturing, technology, education, and healthcare industries for over 30 years. In his professional career, Scott has held roles such as QA manager, CI manager, organizational development, human resources, and was a SVP of quality improvement, quality and improvement, and was also a chief improvement officer. Scott is a lifetime learner, professor, speaker, and author of multiple books, articles, and journal publications. Scott is a master black belt, and he's a create, the creator of The Demaic Way, and his goal is for everyone to make it better, make it stick, as we see over his shoulder there. Um, so with Scott, welcome, and thank you so much for uh, presenting today. I'll yeah, thanks, Mark. No, I'm so happy to be here, and it's great to see uh, I see still people coming in, uh, someone from Manchester, and uh, I'd have to say Manchester United is not playing well this year so far. So, uh, Dave, if you're a Manchester United fan, uh, I'm sorry, they're not playing well. <laughs> um, so anyway, with that, uh, we'll, I'm, I'm so happy to be here to share with you a culture of improvement. Uh, and as Mark said, I'm the executive director of IQC. And just for a moment, just to talk about who we are, we are based in Iowa. Um, and our focus is really to be a catalyst to transform individuals and organizations. We do that in three primary ways. So we do training. So we have a number of things that we do training on Lean, Six Sigma, uh, Baldridge, organizational development, strategy, lots of things. We also do consulting. So we'll work directly with organizations. And then we do oversee the Baldridge Performance Excellence uh, process for the state of Iowa. And our whole, our whole goal is to be on the journey uh, with organizations and individuals as they kind of learn and grow uh, along the path. Mark talked about who I am, so we're just going to blow by that. And it, it's really, I think, as we dive into uh, some of the content I do like to make it a little interactive, so definitely throw your questions in the Q&A, but there may be a couple times I say, hey, I may ask you a question to pop in the chat, so please uh, do that, and if you happen to throw a question in the chat and versus in the Q&A, we'll manage it and figure it out, um, So, but ideally hit those questions in the Q&A. So I'm going to throw one question at you real quick because I yeah. read in the bio and maybe you can elaborate real, real quickly. Yep. The Demaic way with the registered trademark symbol. What yeah. Is? Yep. Yep. Uh, so what what that is? It is a it is a framework. Um, early in my improvement career, I I was introduced to Six Sigma and and what some people may or may not. I, I'm actually a chemist by training, so. I, my undergraduate and first graduate degree was in chemistry and I was a researcher and I worked in a lab and I thought my career was going to be, you know, managing a lab and testing and all kinds of things. And then a uh, quality manager said, hey, come learn this thing called Demaic Six Sigma. And I learned that. And I thought, oh, this was really cool. So then I started getting into it and got my black belt. And 
probably about 10 years in, what I learned was the traditional way that we, we teach people uh, process improvement or Six Sigma Lean in the traditional sense really didn't work and it turned people off. And so we created this methodology that um, does two things. It, in plain English, it teaches people the thinking process of improvement. And it's framed around DMAIC, Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, Control. Um, and so several we have several field books and books around that. And that is the framework we use to teach um, white belt, yellow belt, green belt, and black belt in that, in that methodology. And what, what we've really found is people using that based on our data so far is they actually get certified and they get their projects done 30 to 40% faster than the traditional. So, and thank you. Cheer, uh, yes, going from science to operations has been lovely. So for, for you, a while where I see everyone's getting pretty used to <clears throat> the chat, if you would, just for a moment, if you were to just write a couple words or a quick sentence about culture, what is it? How would you define what is a culture? And we, we might, yeah, so people, yeah. Yeah, they can drop right in the chat. Analysts, there you so go. it's collective behavior. It's norms, yeah, set of norms, a mindset. It's ingrained, yeah, what people see or say about your company, yeah, the way people do it. And many times what I hear people talk about culture is it's really how people act when no one's watching. Yeah, and someone just said that. Awesome. Galaxy S10 Plus. Um, that's a really unique name, so very cool. Uh, and so, yeah, it really is how do people act when no one's watching. And as you're in this chat, if you would, just a quick question. So we kind of have this culture, what it is. Why do we want to spend time building it? So what is the purpose of actually building the culture? And if you want to just drop that in the chat. So what? So we know culture is that norm, the way people act when no one's watching. It's... Yeah, it's about sustain. So if we really build and I love your answers, you're, you're spot on. It's how you achieve the vision. It's how you communicate for common goal, get expected results. It kind of pushes us in a direction. And so what, what I have found in my work is there are very, six very specific steps to build a culture of improvement. And many times organizations spend time talking about Hey, we want to build a culture. We want to do culture change. And what I'll tell you is what's funny is culture change is really easy. I can actually do that for you tomorrow. And whenever I ask, you know, CEOs or executives saying, well, what do you mean? You can, you can change my culture tomorrow? Yes, I can. There's two ways to change a culture, um, evolution or revolution. So if you want to change it tomorrow, what you do is you go fire everyone in your company and you say, here's the culture we want. And then you only hire the people that align and fit in that culture. And what's funny is no one ever wants to do that. So then we have to, we then are left with, we have to then evolve. We have to do evolution, which then takes time and purpose and effort. And so it really isn't just this magical thing. You snap your fingers because snap your fingers is too painful. And so to do this, really building this culture of improvement, we're going to talk about each one of these six steps. There is 
when we are purposeful around these six steps, we can achieve great things. The thing to remember is we cannot do it at the snap of a finger or at this immediate, like right now, magically we're there. And it is an evolution over the course of some amount of time. And depending on the size of your organization, the complexity of the organization, how change ready they are or not, um, just takes that time and extends it or shortens it. And so that's the thing to remember when you're really trying to build this culture of improvement. It's really a mindset and it's really about how do you do it over the course of time? And if we're thoughtful and planful about it, we can do great things. So the first thing, the first part of this step is really that, that center part. And it's, it's really then building, building that vision. And what happens is when we say, Hey, we want to, we want to be a culture of improvement, or we want to undergo this performance excellence or improvement method, you know, methodology. Um, people say, no, right. Go do improvement. Yay. <laughs> and what happens is we don't really talk about what is that vision and how, how will people act or how will people behave? Um, what's currently happening and what do we want to happen what will people do different? How will leaders behave different? Um, what processes are going to be impacted or not impact? And then at the end, what will the business see? Will it see reduced costs? And if you're just doing an improvement to reduce costs, you're probably, you, as many of you know, you're kind of missing the boat. Um, and we also have to speak the language of, of business. So as improvement professionals, we can't not speak the language of business. We can't talk, we can't not talk about the impact in business language. We can say, yes, it made it easier or customers are most more satisfied. We can't tie that to a business result. And that's not part of the vision. We actually likely in the future will miss out on opportunity or will miss out on really building a united culture. And so this vision is really about comparing where you are today and where you want to be and what steps are you going to take between that. And I always think about is, is I'm building a bridge and I'm going from one side of the, of the river or the stream to the other and where I am today versus getting to the other side. When I build those bridge, when I build that bridge, I have to put in these planks and those planks are the steps in the process to get to that end result. We can really do that whether we're talking improvement or strategy, it really the thinking or the methodology is kind of the same. So it's really important to kind of build that vision and have that idea of where do we want to go. The second thing that we have to do once we've built the vision is we then have to identify a framework. And when you think about the framework, if you go and Google search um, continuous improvement or improvement framework, uh, on Google, you get millions of examples. And if you just look at the images, there are millions of examples out there. There's common ones. Lean, Six Sigma, Lean Sigma. I've seen one recently called Extreme Sigma, Sigma, and I haven't found much on it. And all I can think of is people doing Six Sigma while they're jumping out of an airplane or something. And so it's, it's kind of interesting when you think about all of these methodologies, and what we really want to think about when we identify that framework is 
I typically recommend pick one. Make it as visual as you can. Make it as easy and as plain English as you can. And then ensure that there's some cycle or steps, whether it's five steps, four steps, six steps, whatever that is. Right now, I'm seeing a trend in many organizations where, yes, they're using PDSA or PDCA, and and they're starting to sprinkle in Six Sigma and and Demaic. And when you talk to the frontline staff, they're starting to get a fatigue. Like, what improvement methodology? So we used to do PDSA. Now we're doing Demaic. And sometimes we do this. And that's where that framework gets confusing. And it's hard for people to connect you know, connect the dots to say, what do we have to do? And it's not that any one is better than the other. Yes, I do, I do, you know, Six Sigma and and what I would say is more lean Sigma than I do lean from a, from a pure methodology perspective. Now, some people will say, well, lean is the best. Some people say, well, Six Sigma is the best. Some people say, well, I learned Six Sigma at Motorola or GE, and that's the best of the best. Pick one, begin to use it and refine it. And at the end of the day, actually, if you lay them out next to each other, the th- it's the same thinking process. And when you, really, when you really reflect on what is improvement, improvement is the thinking process of getting better. And it's applying tools and methodologies to that thinking process to get better. And if we get too too stuck on this one way or this other way, then people feel like improvement is being done to them instead of with them. And I love, I see some of the notes people are saying, simplest is the key. Yes. One common language, as simple as possible, people will connect it and truly they'll do great things. They'll grab it and go. And so once you've identified that framework, then it's really around commonizing as much as you can around that framework. And if you have to change the framework because you learned something along the way, that's totally okay. You've learned something awesome. I always say that's using the tools on the tools. So now we've built that vision. We've identified the framework. We now have to look at ourselves. And if we're kind of leading the charge on this, excuse me, we have to be then very self-aware and really looking at how do I know myself what are my blind spots? Who do I benchmark? And it's really about once I know myself, I can then reflect and then rinse and repeat. And I want to do a quick example for you. So if you would, I would like you to find a word on this list that when you see that word, you think, oh, that best describes me. I think that's me. And just in the chat, if you would just type your number in, uh, in the chat. So I see eights and ones and 17, 14. And what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention to the number that you've typed in and remember your number. And as I go to the next slide, I want you to find your number. Okay, so I saw saw a whole bunch of 12s. Okay, now I happen to be a number five. All right. So when I do this, I pick number five. 
And what self-awareness is, and when we really come back to this idea of self-awareness, there's some research out there that when we ask people if they're self-aware, uh, it's almost, it's around 90 or 95% say, yes, I'm, I'm self-aware. But actually, when you compare it, only about 5 to 10% actually are self-aware. And what happens is, as an example, I said I'm a number five. So on the good list, I say, oh, hey, I'm kind of persuasive. And this is how I see myself. But in this list too, this is how people see me or can see you. And so what happens is if we don't have strong self-awareness of how we're coming across, people will see this, see us as this negative thing. And what happens in this building a culture of improvement, I think I'm being persuasive and I'm convincing you to do something better or more efficient, um, but you feel manipulated. Now you have this negative flavor of what improvement is. Well, when Scott comes, he's just manipulating us to do it better or faster. And he's, he's just doing it because the CEO or his boss said so or whatever the situation is. Okay. Or if you're a number 10, right, you're vigilant means you, right, you're on it and you're digging in. Uh, however, people can see that as nosy. <laughs> and so the more self aware we are, the more we can reflect and really understand who we are and how we come across to people. And it's really going through that understanding of ourselves and reflection on how I come across to go through that rinse and repeat. Because the more I understand how I'm, I'm coming across, the more I can connect with the individual or individuals that I'm working with. And the more I can connect with them on an individual level, the easier it is to get them to buy in and connect with what we're trying to do around improvement. And so I saw a couple of people said, can they see the list again? So I'm just going to jump on list one and I'll just pause there for a moment. And then list two. Okay, and I know the, those lists will be in the slides as well when, when Mark pushes them out as well. But again, this idea of being self-aware is, is crucially important to understanding how do I come across and how do I flex some of my natural states so that I come across and can connect with people to how they will understand it. And if, I, if I'm doing that really well, getting them to buy in is much stronger. And there's a number of ways, there's a number of tools and assessments to really connect that. Thanks, Mark, for throwing the slides out there. So now we've kind of gone through this. We have this, we have this vision and we've, we've created our framework. We're starting to be more self-aware and kind of using our, our EQ. Okay, that's really what we're talking about. And we now have to get into this. So how are we going to do it? So we have this framework. How are we really going to, to roll it out? And it's really connecting in how versus what. And if you think of, of like strategy and a framework, the framework is what is, is what we're trying to accomplish. Now we have to talk about how we're going to roll it out. 
And my favorite question that many executives talk to me about when we're working, you know, number of clients we're working with are trying to build this culture of improvement. And, you know, the executives or the leaders will say, you know, we've tried that before and it just didn't quite work. And um, or they'll say to me, hey, um, you know, we want to do this, this process improvement program. And what I always have to tell them, number one, it's not a thing. And number two, it's not a thing. (laughs) And if we treat it as a program or we treat it as a thing, it's now extra and we're not building a culture. We're not really ingraining the thinking process of improvement into what people do day to day. And truly, you know, Mark asked me earlier, you know, this, this idea of the Demaic way. This will sound crazy when I say it out loud. I really don't care if they ever follow Demaic. What I really care about is, do they have a handful of tools? And when they're faced with a challenge, do they use those tools and thinking to get them to a better side? Whether or not they ever documented it on an A3, I really don't care. We documented it on an A3 so we get credit in the organization. <laughs> and so then I have to say, well, is that is that a culture? Well, it might be a culture of getting credit, but is it a culture of improvement? And, and I'm not saying doing A3s is wrong because I recommend using the, a, you know, a, the A3 thinking tool. Um, but it's really about what do you want to happen? And so as we do this, there's really, as you kind of think about the how methodology and making it not a thing or a compliance or a check the box, it's really about the mo- we have a model, we coach to the model, and then we reflect on how did that work. And what happens ideally is we come back and say, do we have to change the model in any way? In a perfect world, and as we're maturing in this, this culture of improvement, we then start to say, okay, maybe how I'm coaching in that model isn't quite right and I need to change how I coach. And so I might coach to the model. I might reflect different. I might say, I'm going to now coach differently because that person isn't connecting how I was doing it before. And so it's, it's this little bit of a, of a spin around that at any time I need to reflect and say, how does it impact the model? I need to reflect and say, how am I coaching? Am I, am I connecting with people? Um, I've coached probably close to about 3000 yellow belts, green belts, and black belts in my career. And, and, and what happens is you start to see there are kind of general types of people that how you coach them, you have to flex that a little bit. For some of you, me asking you really tough, deep questions is going to help you think, and you're going to really appreciate that. Some of you, that is going to annoy you (laughs) and and you're going to get frustrated. So we have to take a more uh, purposeful approach and throwing it, you know, up on a, on a whiteboard and talking it through with examples. And if I'm not flexing how I do that, what happens is people don't connect with it and we're not building that culture. And so then once we've kind of 
hit this point, this how or what, um, <clears throat> and we're really focused on the how and, and understanding the model, coaching on the model and doing that reflection. Now we can get really good at the thinking process. And I know you've probably heard me say thinking process a lot. I firmly believe improvement is a thinking process. It's yes, we may wrap it around PDSA or DMAIC or whatever it is. It's using your brain to transform what you see, what you observe, the data you get into something different or better. And many times that's part of this how. If you think about it, uh, Mark and I were talking about um, they measure you. Mark measures a con the number of participants that come to the webinar on a control chart. And a control chart is great. It shows you here's how we're performing. Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever that is. What we have to remember is the data does not tell us why. The data just tells us here's, here we are. And um, some many times leaders or executives will push back on me and they'll say, no, 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 the data tells us all this information. And my response to them is, um, when you drive home today, I want you to get in your car and I want you to sit in your car, start your car, look in your rearview mirror, and you have to drive the rest of the way home only using your rearview mirror. And no one ever wants to do that. And that's the thing about data. Data is like driving your car with the rear view mirror. It doesn't tell us forward. All it tells us is what was the past. And it just is what it is. We still have to do the thinking process to understand why. So as we move from that how, we now have to start talking about <clears throat> that marketing versus selling. And if we really think about this culture of improvement, we have to get the word out. And there is two very different thinking processes and approaches when we think about marketing and selling. And what we have to remember is marketing is really about positioning, branding, personas. It's strategic. Um, Selling is tactical, okay? And so I, I, what I love is talking with people in marketing and talking about people in sales. Sales will say, oh, no, we're very strategic. No, you are tactical. Sales is really about execution, getting customers, and getting more customers. And if you think about building a culture of improvement, we have to market and position why we're doing improvement. And what's better on the other side? And what does it look like? And, and hey, people like you do this and they love it. Selling is really about convincing people that we should do a, a project or something in their area. And getting more leaders or more individuals to come to the training or to participate. It's two very different methodologies, two very different thinkings. And what happens is we think marketing is selling. And so we say, oh, we did this, we did this project, or we we did 5S in this area, and look at the before and after. And you know, it was so great, and everyone should do 5S or everyone should do what you know, whatever you know you're touting. All of that falls into marketing. The selling is then saying, hey, here's how 5S can help you. And being very specific about that individual 
or that area or that department. And what happens is we think just because we put a billboard up or a sign up, everyone will want to join in. What happens is people are skeptical. If you want to in the chat, just like how many of you are enjoying the current political ads that bombard us every day? All of that is marketing. And no, this is not a political statement. (laughs) It's really about they're marketing a perspective. They're trying to position one perspective over another. Selling is very, very different about getting in and understanding who your customer is and then how do we expand that relationship in the selling process. And many times we miss this piece as improvement professionals is we do posters and we do all these things around the strategic and branding part. We're not doing the the boots to the ground work, the tactical work to get customers or get more customers to say, why would you want to be part of this improvement? And if I'm not doing that, I can't get to the tipping point. And really that tipping point There is some new research, but if you read the the Gladwell book around Tipping Point, he says around, I believe it's around 51%. Actually, there's new research that says it's more like 20 or 30% before you can actually get more people in the momentum to go forward. And if we're not really purposeful on that selling piece, we miss opportunity. And so... The last piece is really then, you know, we've built around the framework, et cetera. Now it's all about executing. And it's about we have to get projects done. We have to get improvement work done. If Because we, we can't show the benefits, people will lose belief and they won't buy in as much. And what I see many times is people will start with projects. That's a logical place to start. They'll say, hey, we're going to do this this project to create standard work or, you know, to reduce waste over in this area. We're going to 5S the storage cabinet to make it easier to find things. And the scope blossoms and we never get done. And so then leaders say, well, it it doesn't work. We never can finish anything. And the thing to remember is it's really about let's just get her done. And ideally, it's it's really saying, how do we have progress over perfection? How do we step forward one step forward and then reflect on what did we do and how did that work? And really make your, your especially your initial improvement efforts, small and bite-sized. And saying, hey, we're going to do this one small thing and see how it goes. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. One small thing and then the next thing. And so it becomes really important that we just look at how are we stepping forward versus what is perfect. And we may decide that we're not going to dot all the I's and cross all the T's because we've, we might have six things that we need to do, but we find out four of the six are really what get us the better result. Why do the other two? 
I believe that is waste. And, and what happens sometimes is we get so focused on, but we, we identified these six things and we're not doing these six and we get hung up on having all items, you know, all the boxes checked versus did it get us a better result? Cool. It did. Are we satisfied with that? Great. Let's move on. Let's go to other areas of the business because likely if you do those other two, it bogs down with administrative burden and you don't actually get the end result that you, that you may want or, or could get if you just focused on those four key things. So I, I see a few questions co coming in. So we have a zoom poll that we would like you to take. Um, and Mark, do you yep. kick that off? Yeah, I can kick that Thank off. Thank you. Launch and so if you would just take a chance and um, vote on those opportunities and I'll, I'll take a moment and review questions. Yeah. And for those listening to the podcast, I'll just read these real quick. The question is, where do you see the biggest opportunity? And to Scott's um, framework, vision, framework, self-awareness, how versus what? market versus sell and execute. And then I'll be curious as you respond to the responses, Scott, have you asked this question in other settings? I have, yes. How, how do these responses compare? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll answer that when I see the responses. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I need to end the poll before you see Yep, it. yep, yep. Okay. It looks like the responses have um, dwindled down. So self, the top ones... Um, in terms of number of votes, self-awareness, 19, execute, 18, framework, 17, market versus sell, 16. Can you, can you see that now? Or I'm going to share um, I can now. Yeah. Yep, okay. yep. So, yeah, let me just pop, I think. So, yeah. So what I, what I typically see, so we're saying most are saying self-awareness is top. I typically see um, self-awareness as number one or number two. I typically see um, marketing and then framework. And most people, when they say framework and you kind of dig into that, what they really say is they're, they're seeing that kind of framework fatigue where it's either too complicated or they're using multiple. Um, I had a student that they, their project was actually to get to, they were going through Greenbelt and um, when they assessed their organization, now this is a big healthcare system. Um, they had 14 different frameworks across their organization. And, and you think about that, you're like, okay, which one do I pick today? <laughs> Roll the dice. I don't know. Um, and, and so when, when you think about, um, kind of this and, and this, you know, the self-awareness piece Really, the more self-aware people can be and the more thoughtful they are about how do I interact with people, what happens is um, we actually connect with people in a more productive way because I'm starting to see how I act or behave and how that impacts others. And there's actually a lot of data and science uh, around a couple methodologies where um, if I can flex to meet people where they are, I actually boost engagement pretty significantly. 
Now that doesn't mean you let them get away with, you know, shortcutting or those kinds of things. It's really just understanding how do they best receive information? How do they best take action? How do they best communicate? And if I can flex more towards their style, I will actually connect with them and, and get my point across a lot better um, than I would if I didn't. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of power there. So no, that that's awesome. So thank, thanks for, thanks everyone for taking that poll. Uh, and so then in the chat, if you would, if we look at kind of that, that framework um, and based on a little bit of what we've talked about, where would, like, where do you see the most opportunity or what is the thing that you would say, gosh, based on what I heard today, this is where I think I need to spend a little time. So I see a couple of vision, vision, yep, start with vision, framework, become more self-aware, awesome. Selling, yep, so I see a lot of vision, a lot of selling, yep, <laughs> someone said, oh, a little bit of everything, <laughs> awesome, very good. So I know we're gonna have some mo uh, some time for Q and A. I do I do just want to leave you quickly with with a thought, um, and it's and it's one of my one of my favorite quotes that really if once we once we set a culture and we want to preserve it, we have to continue to create it. And what's interesting about this this quote or this idea is that building culture is really never done. We get it to a point, but we still have to put the effort to maintain it. Because if we don't, what if you don't create it, you're still going to have a culture. It just may not be the culture you want. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be really thoughtful about it. So I appreciate um, appreciate questions and the interaction so far. I know Mark, you you have a few few announcements, and then we can absolutely dive into the Q and A. I see some coming in and we'll, we'll just jump yeah. right into those after that. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Um, yeah. So yeah, those questions will continue um, coming in. We'll give people a couple of minutes, Scott, you can have a uh, sip of water, catch your breath. Yeah. So I want to thank everyone for um, attending. Uh, we have, this is of course, part of an ongoing webinar series. You can register for different webinars at kinexus.com slash webinars. If you are a Kinexus customer, our next training team office hours with Adam and Matt is going to be October 14th and open to everybody. Our next presentation style webinar is going to be October 15th. It's titled Six Weeks to Success, How to Double Your Output and Half Your Stress by Using Six-Week Improvement Cycles. And you'll notice it's being held at 3 p.m. Eastern. It's a little different from our standard uh, because our presenter, Simon Murray, is in Australia. So um, this makes it not so early in the morning for him. It'll be early, but not middle of the night early. But if you can't attend at 3 o'clock Eastern, that will be recorded um, as always. Simon um, is the founder of an organization called Your Maintenance Coach. And uh, again, it's open to everybody. You can register, um, I would say right now, how about after this webinar? You can go to <laughs> slash webinars. I also want to tell you about a few other things. Um, we have our on-demand webinar library. You can access that. There's a link on the right-hand sidebar of kinexus.com slash webinars. The whole webinar library is free. You can find those also on our YouTube channel. 
Um, we have a blog at blog.kinexus.com. There's actually two sub-blogs. One is our general improvement blog, and one is more customer-focused with updates on the software and things like that. Um, we also have, as I've mentioned, uh, a podcast that includes audio. We, we posted you know, a preview of um, today's webinar. I had a conversation with Scott. Um, you can go kinexus.com slash podcasts or basically any place you might download and listen to podcasts. And so with that, we will go into Q&A and you've got um, the iowaqc.org website and um, Scott's email address there. Um, so let's yes. see, there's a question here, um, if I, but do you, do you want to take them in a particular order? Yeah, I was just going to go top to bottom is what I was thinking, Mark, unless you have a different order. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> right. so, so I think, um, uh, so Julie asked, him, so getting people to understand the difference between quality, meeting some kind of regulatory standards and improvement. And I, I, when you think about that, that question and the difference, how I've approached this because when people blur it, it becomes confusing. Many times how I've approached this is really stepping back and saying, meeting regulatory standards, that's like table stakes. We have to, we, to stay in business, I have to do these things as a base. Improvement is really then saying beyond that, what is going to add value to our organization whether that's improving engagement with employees, whether that's reducing defects to the customer, whatever that is, that's improvement. It's doing something to push us above and beyond the minimum. And so that's typically how I have that conversation. So Julie, I hope that, I hope that helps. Uh, and then Steve, you asked, um, <laughs> you, you found places where, um, organizations say you must use these tools and um, they, they rule with the, the uh, proverbial iron fist of compliance uh, methodology within their improvement. Um, you know, how do you change that perspective? Uh, tongue in cheek, I'd say with, you know, maybe with a baseball bat, uh, <laughs> but really it's, it's about, I would typically default to asking questions. So you have these requirements to do certain tools or a certain way. Um, help me understand the purpose. And once I start to understand the purpose, I'm going to look for opportunities to change their perspective and really about asking them if their purpose is to get more people involved or to have better improvement are they getting the results that they want by using the mandated tools? And if they're not, then we can come to agreement that we have to do something different. Now, if they are getting the results and, and everything, then that's going to be a tougher sell because if they're doing good work and, and they're getting great results out of their improvement projects, it's going to be a really tough sell to say, let's change something because it's working in their mind. Um, so I think that that's a great, uh, looks like one of the questions might've been from, uh, Sidina. Uh, I think that question might be cut off. Well, I think if you um, scroll down, um, do you agree oh, that coaching people to, uh, coach, 
is coaching people to reflect. Is that? Yeah, they're there. Yeah. Is individual behavior. Yes. So uh, there are three growth questions that, that I typically use when coaching and it's really saying what's working, what's not working and what, what will you do different? And it's really then saying, how am I behaving and how is that behavior or activity getting me to a better result? What, and that better result could be a better, a better improvement process. That better result could be, gosh, I want to move up in the company, but my behavior isn't helping me accomplish that. Whatever that is, it's really saying what's working, what's not working, what am I going to go do different? And I may have some deeper questions there, uh, you know, based on their answers, but I'm always going to start with those reflection questions. Uh, great question. Um, how do you ensure buy-in as an implementer? Um, so a team member or bring in an outsider. So of course, as a consultant, I'd say, oh, always bring in an outsider. But <laughs> what I would say is, what's the appetite of the organization? And then how fast do they want to go? So if the appetite is, hey, we think you know, no one inside has the expertise, then you might have to kind of just swallow the pride a little bit and bring someone else in. If they're like, hey, we're patient and we can grow that expertise in-house, that's great. Many times what I recommend is the first thing before we even go is we talk about a framework, then we then we demonstrate it with a small group and we'll do uh, you know a yellow belt or a Kaizen event and then report out. And typically what happens is there's one or two people who are part of that that really stand out and then you can coach them up and take it on. They're already in the organization. Going and hiring someone to fill that role is usually one of my last recommendations because what will happen is they don't know the culture. They don't know the organization. They're going to come in with some really specific methodologies that may or may not work. Long-term, you're actually better if you can grow the talent yourself. That doesn't mean you don't have a coach or a Sherpa along the way to kind of support that. And again, part of that appetite could be, do you want that coach or that, you know, consultant to be in front of the curtain or behind the curtain? Because you could have someone that never, never presents anything to the organization and just supports that person to get up to speed. And they are always behind the curtain to bring that person along. Uh, so people love sign up when it comes to rolling up their sleeves, it's a challenge. Yeah. And sustaining it is even more difficult. Agree. So how do you address the issue? So, um, really the, the question is, yes, we just wave a magic wand and it magically goes away. Um, I guess I, again, I typically would address that in a couple ways. Number one, have they ever had an experience where a magic wand actually worked? Um, any time in their business career. Uh, the second thing is then I typically separate out. Here's what we're going to do to, 
to get the improvement. And then there's specific actions and thinking around what are we going to do to sustain that? So we've put these changes in place. What are going, what are now we going to, what are we now going to do to make that stick? Okay. And so I know Mark talked about, and you can see behind me, make it better, make it stick. It really is two different, um, very specific actions. We're going to do A, B, and C to make it better. And what are, we have to do D, E, and F to make it stick. And what happens is we focus on, oh, cool. We, you know, we cleaned up this area and we did standard work and we put it up and yeehaw, it's magically going to stay that way. Yeah, that's just not how things work. We have to do some sort of follow-up, some sort of, um, you know, feedback to tell people, yes, you're doing great. I love this. It's wonderful. Um, what are the best ways to encourage people to embrace core values? So if you really look at core values, it's how you want people to best uh, behave. I, again, how I approach this is two ways. First is I define what the core values mean and in as plain as English or whatever your native language is. And I say, this is what we want. And I recommend to people as you say, and here are the anti-behaviors. So here's the behaviors we want that align with the value. Here's what we don't want. And just part of that, doing that simply, most adult humans will comply and understand that once it's put in that normal English. Then the other piece I, I would do then is I'm going to build reward recognition and I'm going to build any kind of feedback performance management around those core values. So I'm always keeping them front of mind and, and recognizing people, you know, if trust is a core value, I'm, I'm going to do something around trust and recognize people in that way. Um, <laughs> uh, one question, how do you manage culture of credit versus culture of improvement? Great question. Um, if, if I understand culture of credit, I, I, I think what you're saying is, Oh, I did this. Therefore, I deserve the pat on the back um, or, you know, that team. And I think some of that comes from if you if you build and I've been in organizations where, hey, you get 10 percent of whatever improvement of ever, whatever savings you do. People get really um, there's friction there because it's well, you know, Mark thought of that first, but he just didn't take action. But I also thought of it, but second, and I took action. Well, which one of us gets the 10%? And then I get it because I took action and Mark's frustrated. So part of it is reminding people it's about us getting better together. Um, and if it's really about credit, then it's not about, it's, it's about me versus we. And so it's really asking that question, is it about us together or is it about I? So Scott, follow-up question to that. Yeah. Does the vision help point in that direction or is that just ongoing response and coaching that comes from leadership around points? Yeah, I, it, I think it's a little bit of both, Mark. Great question. I think the vision absolutely points where we're going and what we're trying to achieve. Um, that ongoing, I mean, if you really think about the, the role of the executive is 
to remind people and to continue to coach people to be pointed towards that, that vision and that mission. And so I, I don't know that you could really have one or the other. I think, I think it's both. Um, so I, and I'm just, there's a question in uh, the chat that about how do you get buy-in to leadership um, to go down this path? Um, I, what I have done to get buy-in, and this goes, remember our list one and list two, I was a five, I'm persuasive. And where some people might, uh, might say um, I'm manipulating is if I want to get leadership buy-in and I'm not quite sure that they're on board with doing a culture of improvement or going down that path, I'm going to use improvement methodologies on whatever they say is important. And when I do a great job, what they're going to come back, usually they're going to say, well, how did you do that? And then I'm going to say, well, this is how I did this. I used this methodology. And I think if we did this with all of our strategic projects, we could be so much better. And I'm going to um, persuade slash manipulate <laughs> them into going that path. So it's really, it's yes, if I'm not sure that they're on board, then I'm really going to look at how do I align my expertise and, and you know, my improvement skills to deliver something they want so I can demonstrate that approach works. Uh, yes, sometimes centers of excellence are really not center centers of improvement. How do you coach the difference? Yeah, great question. So uh, many times I think coming back to what, when you think of a center of excellence, it's really about being the best of the best in that function. So you might have a center of excellence in accounting or finance and HR and et cetera. I think what gets lost is the center of excellence that is integrated. So I could be an excellent HR department or I could be an excellent finance department and be firing in all cylinders, but I'm one of the most hated departments in, in the organization because I make it difficult to work with people or whatever that is. So I, I think to differentiate that, it's really about saying, what is the best of the best? And then pushing them to say, okay, how do you know your best of the best? And if they're not measuring that and comparing that, either inside the organization or outside the organization, they actually don't know that they're a center of excellence. And that should then push them to have the desire to do improvement. Um, yeah. How do you, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Well, there's two questions that are similar, so maybe we can combine yeah, please. Switching yep. from yep. project mindset to daily improvement or yep. someone else's comments. We see CI as a role or only events. How do you help shift them? Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it comes back to the how and what piece of, of the framework. So if you think about most people are going to start off and they're going to do projects or they're going to do events, that is a natural place. And then you start to do those more frequently. And I, I think that that makes sense to start at that place. It's really about saying that's what we're doing. So what we do is we do a project or we do a Kaizen event or you know whatever your methodology is. Then it's saying, 
our goal is to make this how we do our work. And so it's saying, how are we trained? How are the people who went to the Kaizen event or went or did a project? How are they then using those tools and thinking in their everyday work? Because they experience everyday problems that they don't think about or they don't take action on. And they, they just deal with it. So it's really about two things, I think. One is teaching them to see things differently, but then challenging to say, how do we do that work? And most of the time, what I find is it's, it's shifting um, leaders' methodologies to approach problem solving to be more of a coach and asking questions that align with you know, the methodology that you want. Um, I mean, Toyota Kata is great. If you look at really what are they after, they're after leaders asking those, those questions to say, what have you learned today? What's not working? How have you approached? And it's really driving people to use that improvement thinking process in their day-to-day work. I mean, so if you kind of model some things after that, I believe that's how you can kind of shift from that project or event focus to daily focus. We've got time maybe for one more. What do you yeah, sure. have on the list of questions? I'll, I'll, um, so if I look, I see one, how, how do you build trust and buy-in when you have long tenured employees that they've seen it all. Um, and sometimes they maybe just hasn't gone as smoothly as they like. I'm paraphrasing the question. So it, there is, there is four steps that I typically use. And really I find it frequently with long tenured employees. Um, when they say, you know, we've tried this before. We, you know, been there, done that. I, I have been told, hey, you're you're just like everyone else, flavor of the month. You too shall pass. I've I've outlasted all them. I'll outlast you. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate that vote of confidence. Um, and <laughs> what I will typically go to is I'll just ask them, hey, do we agree we can get better? Like there's things that are kind of a pain in the butt. I might even use the word, are there things that suck about your job? And they'll typically say, yes, I'm going to say, excellent. I think there are two. And then once I get agreement that there is some kind of problem, then I'm going to go to the next step. What, what are those issues? And they're going to say, well, this is terrible. And this is terrible. And this is all oh, this. This has never worked. And anytime I push this button on the machine, it's supposed to light up and shoot fireworks, but it never does. Um, now we can agree that what the problem is, then I'm going to side-by-side work with them and demonstrate how this methodology can make their life better. And I'm going to do it, and I'm not, I'm going to do it in a very super informal way. And I'm going to look for as quick of wins as I can. And I think about the one time somebody told me a um, an extruder screw, the they were supposed to have the ability to, to change the, the uh, resistance to make the screw go a little faster, a little slower. And apparently it hadn't worked for like five years. 
and I, you know, the operators were frustrated and they say, yeah, you know, 10 people have looked at it. And I just went and found an electrician I knew and trusted. And I said, Hey, here's the situation. What's going on? Well, yeah, no one's ever authorized us to buy this part. And I'm like, how much? $50. Cool. Here is my car. Here's my credit card. Let's go buy the part. And, and they're like, cool. And just that little simple thing they were bought in. And so I think it's really just about, you have to prove it to them. Not saying that's right. I think that's just kind of what it is. I know we didn't get to all the questions, so I do apologize for that, but great questions. Yeah. And I can send you that list if you maybe want to answer any of those. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So I want to thank everybody for uh, being here and and most everybody stayed on through the Q and a. So thank you for that. Um, We want to again, um, thank our presenter, Scott Bergmeier from IQC. Um, There's a deviation from standard where I, I didn't mistype it on the very first slide, but it says executive directory instead of executive director. I apologize for that. Um, Yeah, it's all good. We'll pull the end on cord and own up to my mistake. But um, Scott, thank you for a really engaging session. I think it was really thought provoking to have a framework like that yeah. um, to think through what we're doing with continuous improvement or, or really any anything that an organization is trying to. Improve. Yeah. Yep. So thank you for that. No problem. No, it was great. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, again, everyone, um, you will be getting a recording uh, tomorrow and uh, we hope you'll sign up for future webinars. Again, kinexus.com slash webinars. Have a great day, Scott. Thanks again. All right. Have a good one. See y'all.